0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Are you guys excited to be here today? I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about the worship that we just experienced, the songs that we got a chance to sing to kind of lay down our hearts and our our praise to God, Um, and this opportunity that we have to just kind of dive into um, this message, this story about uh, the last resort. My name is April Farmer, and I get the privilege of serving here at Buckhead Church on our staff, and I get to walk alongside a a group of wonderful men and women who provide opportunities for me and you to be a part of groups and to provide care to you and mentoring during times of crisis and in need of counsel. So I'm just excited to be here, excited that you're here, excited that you're watching at home. And I know you're kind of looking up here like, wait a minute, isn't isn't she the girl that sings? What is she doing talking? Trust me, I've asked myself the same question many, many times, but my story is long and what God does in a story. Sometimes you see a person one way, and you realize God's got a lot more to that person than what meets the eye. But just to give you a little bit about my introduction, even to North Point Ministries, I moved here in 1999, and about 2000, I was working at Sprint Long Distance, and I was at work one day, and one of my coworkers said, hey, there's these people giving away free lunch every Tuesday across the street at this hotel. And I was like, really? And I was like, what do you have to do? They say, all you have to do is sit and listen to a message for about 30 minutes, and you get free meals, mostly Chick-fil-A. And I was like, hey, I can do that. And so I went and the first time I got there, there was somebody there and they talked for maybe about two or three minutes. They gave us free lunch. And I watched this man named Andy Stanley teach. And I was just so enthralled. And I was like, this is super cool. I get some Jesus and I get free food. How great is this? And so I went faithfully for years every Tuesday. And I remember inviting my friends to come, but I worked there for a while, but I've, I've been a part of ministry for a long time. I've been leading worship since I was probably about 18, something I knew I was called to do when I was about 11. I remember it like it was yesterday. And so I've been doing that but before I came here on staff, I worked as a community-based therapist out in Cherokee County, and I really, really loved that job. I loved going out and just kind of interacting with people and meeting them and connecting with them, but one of my favorite parts about that job was that I got the opportunity to teach life skills in Cherokee County Jail. And I got to go there every week and I got to teach these men and these women. And the thing that I loved the most about it was not just what I had to share with them, but what they had to share with me. The opportunity that I had to hear their stories, oftentimes stories of regret, oftentimes stories of desperation and pain, oftentimes sad stories and hope for a future, hope for a future to come, hope for something beyond what they were experiencing at that time. And what we're doing in this series, The Last Resort, is doing exactly that. We're giving you stories of hope. We're asking the question, where do you go when you run out of options? And the stories that we're sharing are stories about people who have run out of options. Three stories of people who have experienced Jesus as their last resort. And last week Clay brought up this statement and um, that most of us know and he said desperate times call for desperate measures. And mostly everybody in the room knew that. But when I when I when I saw that statement I thought to myself, okay, well, how do we determine whether or not a situation is actually desperate. You know, what are the determining factors that makes something a desperate situation? How do we truly know when we've run out of options? And a lot of times you start to hear people make sentences that start with phrases like this, I have just got to do X, Y, Z. Or I am gonna lose it if this doesn't happen. Or if I could only just do this, then my life would change. And we all know that there are varying levels of desperation. We've heard people make statements like that and then hear their story and you're like, that's not a desperate situation. My son one time thought he was in a desperate situation and it had to do with a girl. Yeah, right, I know, And so he came to me, he was 15 years old and he was away at school. My son got the opportunity to go away at school in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but he had this girlfriend that he had just met over the summer and he was so desperate to get to her. He wanted to go out with her and he knew what my rules were. If you can't drive, you can't date. If you can't get there and pay for it, you cannot date. Those were the goals that I wanted to set for my children, for them to reach. And so he knew what the rules were. So one weekend he was at school, but he was coming home for the weekend, but I had to go out of town. So I asked my brother to stay at the house with them. And I told my son flat out, you cannot meet that little girl anywhere. Do you hear me? Oh, yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. So I go out of town and I'm on my way back on Sunday. And he's already making his way back to Chattanooga. And I call him. I say, hey, Chris, how was your weekend? He was like, oh, man, it was great. I had a great time. I was like, well, what'd you do? I hung out with the fam, hung out with a couple of friends. I even went to church this morning. Church was great. I was like, awesome, that's really good. I'm so sad I missed you. I'll talk to you later. And so then I call my brother to tell him I'm on my way home. And I say, hey, you know, how did everything go? And my brother was like, man, they were good. The boys were good. You know, I dropped Christopher off at the movies to see his girlfriend. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, what? What, are you, what did you just say? And my brother was just like, huh? Because he knew me. And I was like, what happened? He was like, I mean, he was just going to see his girlfriend at the movies. I didn't think you would mind. I'm like, boy, you knew I would mind. What in the world? And he knew what I'd said. So now his desperate situation caused a desperate situation for me. So I told my brother, I said, well, you have to stay at the house a little while longer because I'm about to make my way to Chattanooga. And I got in my car from the airport and I drove straight to Chattanooga, Tennessee and I drove up to his dorm. He's in the ninth grade. And I drove right there and I called him once I got outside his dorm. I said, hey, Chris, how you doing? He's like, hey, mom, how, how are you? And I was like, I'm good. I said, I just wanted to ask you again about your weekend. Was there, was there anything that happened that you want to tell me about? And he was like, nah, man, that was a great weekend. I went to church this morning. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I said, um, well, come unlock the door. He's like, what? I said, come on, lock the door. I'm here. I need to talk to you. And he was like, for real? I said, yes. And so he comes downstairs and he's shaking in his boots like, yeah, mom. So what are you doing here? And I said, we need to talk about this weekend. Tell me, there's some things that you left out of your story this weekend. And he finally broke down and he told me his situation. And he told me, yeah, I went and I, I know what you said, but mom, What did he say? I just had to see her, mom. I just had to get to where she was. I had to meet her at the movies. That's all I had to do. So he, we laugh about that situation, but for him and his 15-year-old undeveloped brain, He was in a desperate situation, and in that desperation, he was willing to do whatever it took to get to that girl. Why? Because he placed value in meeting her. He placed value in that situation. And what I realized is this, is that in times of desperation, your level of determination is based on the value placed on what you desire. He had placed a value on her. And we place value on so many things. We place value on being successful. We place value on gaining wealth. We place value on building healthy relationships or maintaining a healthy body. But sometimes we, other people place value on things that oftentimes some other people may take for granted. Things like food or shelter or opportunity or safety. But last week we were introduced to uh, this story Clay introduced us to the story of a guy by the name of Jairus. And he too was in a desperate situation. He was in a desperate situation and there was a value placed on his situation. Why? Because his daughter was sick and that meant a great deal to him. So despite the fact that he was a synagogue leader, despite the fact that he had status in the community, he left where he was. He left his place of comfort. He left his daughter and he came to where Jesus was was because he placed value on what Jesus could possibly do for her. And in the midst of his search, he gets to Jesus and he falls at Jesus's feet. And Clay let us know last week that he fell at his feet and he begged Jesus, my daughter is at the point of death. Would you please come with me to my daughter and heal her? And Jesus in all of his awesomeness said, absolutely, lead the way. But on the way, they got interrupted by the story that we're gonna look at today. They got interrupted by a woman, a woman who had also been in a desperate situation, a woman who had also placed a high level of value and the thing that she needed and she wanted more than anything was freedom. And I know that may not be what you have expected, but as we take a look at this text, we're gonna see that what she desperately needed, what she placed high value on was freedom. And as we look at this story, there are three key elements that brought her to that place of freedom. And the first thing is what we've already talked about. It's desperation. And we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 5. And in verse 25, it says this. It says, And a woman who who, uh, was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So we see that, we see her level of desperation. And I wanna kind of survey this, 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 this verse a little bit deeper and see just how bad was her situation. The first thing we notice is that she's a woman, she's a woman with no name. Last week, Jairus was introduced to us by name. He was introduced to us by status, but this is a woman who Mark tells us is simply a woman and she is introduced based on her situation. She is identified by her condition. And unlike Jairus who came on behalf of his daughter, she came all alone. She had no one with her that we can tell in this scripture. She had no support. And she was also ceremonially unclean. What do you mean by that? In the Jewish law, if you had a situation like she had, if you were subject to bleeding, if you, anytime you were in a situation like that, there was a period of of uncleanness that you were set in. And until that situation changed, you were considered unclean. And so everything you touched would be unclean. And everything you came in contact would be unclean, need to be washed and need to be purified. And so this woman had been dealing with this for 12 years. And so what this means is that she was unable to worship in the temple with everybody else. She was ostracized from the community. She was a social outcast. This woman was in a desperate situation. And in addition to that, she was suffering extreme fear. It said she suffered a great deal under many doctors. And then she spent everything she had This woman was at her wit's end. She was broke and she had nothing to show for it. But I love what we see next. This story takes a nice little turn and we see next in her story, this next key element, we see her faith. And in verse 27, It says this, it says when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. What a statement of faith that is. And what I love about this is that it says when she heard about Jesus, this woman was making a move simply on what she heard about Jesus but what it also tells me is that what she heard about Jesus was so impactful that it sparked a hope in her, a hope in her desperate situation, which ignited a faith that she didn't know she had. You know, Romans ten seventeen says this. It says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So I have a quick question for you. When was the last time hearing about Jesus increased your faith? I have another question for you. When was the last time you sharing about Jesus increased someone else's faith? It's like telling reviews. There's no time that I go to a new city that I'm unfamiliar with, that I don't pull up Yelp and look up restaurants in my area. And what's the first thing I do? I'm looking for the reviews. Why? because I wanna know what other people have to say about this restaurant. I wanna know whether it's a bad restaurant or it's a good, a, a, a good restaurant. I wanna know whether or not the service is good. I wanna know whether or not it's worth my time or my energy, because if I get poor reviews, I'm not gonna go. But I look for those five-star restaurants. I look for those restaurants that people are just raving about and they're writing, oh, you have to go to this place. And this is exactly what we see here in this text. She had heard so much about Jesus. But you know, it also reminds me of something that happened when I was growing up. In my church, when I grew up, we had this thing called testimony service. And this was a time of the service that was specifically designated for people to take time to grab a microphone in front of everybody and tell about what Jesus had done for them that week. And I remember sitting in our church as a kid and I would sit there with such um, anxiousness and I'd be loved to hear these stories because these stories gave hope to everyone else who heard them. It made them feel like I can go another week. I know my situation may feel bad. I know my situation may look bad, but if Jesus did something for her or Jesus did something for him, perhaps he can do this for me. So my faith will take me another step. And those stories, stories like that were stories that impacted me when I became this woman in a situation. You see, I grew up in a Christian home, but by the time I was 20 years old, I had had two children and I was all by myself. I was all alone. I had my oldest son when I was 17 and my second when I was 19. And I had grown up in the faith. I had grown up learning and loving and knowing about Jesus but I made some decisions and and now I find myself in college with two boys at Georgia Southern University. And I promise you, my kids were probably like the school mascots because everywhere I went, my kids went with me. And I had a hard time. I can't say that it was easy, but I had remembered down through the years, these stories that I'd read and I'd heard about this Jesus who could transform your life. But my life was in a crazy situation. And, and, and when I, I had these children and their dads were nowhere to be found, I remember when I told my, my, my son's father, I said, hey, I'm pregnant. He was like, yo, I'm sorry. I don't want no kids. You're on your own. And he would walk past me on campus and never even look at me like he never knew me. And I walked around and down through the years as I went about life and I, got, I graduated from college and I moved up here to Atlanta and we came here and I said, well, all I know to do is go to church. All I know to do is to keep trying Jesus, is to keep pursuing this God that I had heard about, this God that I knew And I went year after year and I was the single mom with the kids and I would see the families with the husband and the wife and the children and this perfect picture of what it's supposed to be. And I'd look at me and I didn't see that. And so year after year, I piled on shame and guilt. Guilt because my kids were living a life without a dad around. Guilt because I was walking around and I was going to church, but I didn't have this picture perfect look. And I was ashamed of the life that I had created. I was just ashamed of who I was. And just like this woman, I was in a desperate situation And just like this woman, I had had this faith that was deep inside of me. And I knew that there had to be something more. So I kept going to church. I kept saying, hey, I'll lead worship next week. And every time I felt sad, I would still lift my hands and sing my song and say, God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. And I would sing those songs that said Jesus could change my life. But deep down on the inside, it wasn't happening yet. But I had this faith that was stirring And just like this woman, I knew, I knew that Jesus was the only hope I had. This woman, she knew that Jesus was her last resort. And in pursuit of Jesus, in the midst of her faith that had been ignited by what she heard about this man named Jesus, She reached out and she got to him. She pressed through that crowd and she went through all of those people alone and and, and unclean with this title and this label and she made her way to Jesus. And then in verse 29, it says this. It says, immediately as she touched him, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that Jesus was freed, that, that she was freed from her suffering. What an amazing story. She had pressed her way because of her faith. She was a desperate woman, but she had faith and she made her way to Jesus and he changed her life. She immediately knew that something had changed. And just when you think that her story couldn't get any better than this, Mark blesses us with this final scene. Now we've seen her desperation. We've seen her faith on display. But Jesus takes the opportunity to take it one step further and to demonstrate one final component of her story. And it's the truth. And in verse 30, we see this. It says, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you asked who touched me? But Jesus kept going, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and she fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And I looked at that and I was like, wait a second, something miraculous had just happened to her. Why was she trembling with fear? But then I thought about it, think about the implications of this situation. This was a woman with a label. This is a woman who was unclean and she had just touched a rabbi. This man, Jesus, who she didn't quite know just yet, this man had the opportunity, he could shame her in front of everyone. What would Jesus say? What would this rabbi do to me if I tell him everything? If I expose the fullness of my story? And not only Jesus, what will the crowd say? Because with every person she pressed her way past, she touched them. And so now these people would realize, wait a minute, she may have touched me. Now I'm unclean. And so she stood there wondering what could happen. And so in light of that, you ask, well, why would Jesus even ask the question? Why would Jesus ask the question? And I love this because it says here that there was a crowd pressing against him. So Jesus was getting a lot of touches that day, but there was something special about this lady's touch. This wasn't a regular, normal, everyday crowd touch. This was a faith touch that drew out of him a power that he knew had to be acknowledged. And Jesus asked her that question. And Jesus knew he set her up to tell her story. He set her up to tell the whole entire truth. That's what Jesus wanted to be made known, not just for her. He wanted her to tell it, but he wanted the crowd to know. He wanted them to know so that it could possibly ignite their faith. And he wanted her to tell it so that she could actually take that next step of courage and even increase her faith. And I asked myself, how would anybody know about what happened if she didn't tell her story? And so Jesus beautifully set her up and she's sitting here trembling with fear. What do I do? What could happen? What is gonna happen if I do this, if I take this step? And I love how Jesus responds to her. In verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love that. He didn't look at her and say, unclean woman. He didn't look at her and say, a a, a lady with no name. He changed her identity instantly. No longer was she the unclean woman. She was now daughter. And he said, your faith has made you whole. Not only did he heal her body, but he freed her. He freed her mind body and soul. And I understood as I read this story exactly how she felt. I told you that I spent years in shame, just building it on. I felt like I I would just put it on me with every situation, with every time a dad didn't show up to a parent night, every time I couldn't get help paying for this sport, every time I went into church and they had a call for couples to do this or they had a call for singles to do this, I found myself shamed because I, I was a woman in the middle. I didn't fit anywhere. What about me? But I kept pressing and I kept going. And I was a worship leader at my church at the time. And I, I decided to take our worship team on a, to a conference in Texas. And we get to this conference and um, Israel Houghton and Newbreed is hosting this conference. And y'all know, y'all know I love Israel Houghton. If you didn't know, now you know. I'm one of those people that loves those, those upbeat songs. So I'm jumping around, Lord, you are good. That's, that's me, I loved it. And so we get to this conference and it's awesome and it's wonderful. And I'm standing in the crowd and everybody's standing up. And everybody's having this wonderful time. But then there came a time in the night where he asked everybody to be seated and the room got quiet and all the big lights and the staging went away. And it was just Israel Houghton and a guitar and maybe a cajon. And he starts singing this song and everybody's quiet and we're sitting there. And he sings this song and he says, From first to last, you knew my days future and past, you saw everything. When I would fail, when I would win, when I would need, grace to start again. Nothing surprises you. Nothing surprises you about me, Jesus. Nothing that I could do. Nothing could separate you from me, Lord. You see me. You know me. You love me madly. And I'm sitting in that crowd. And all of a sudden... All of a sudden, this knot starts to well up in my throat, and it's a big knot, and tears start to come to my eyes, and something was happening on the inside of me, and I'm trying to hold it together because I feel my life changing on the inside, and then he gets to the bridge, and he says, you're not mad at me, you're not mad at me. You're more than enough, and you're madly in love with me. And in the midst of that quiet crowd, this girl, I mean, I started wailing with these tears, and I'm sobbing deep, and people are turning and looking at me like, oh my gosh, what is happening? but they had no idea what I had suffered. They had no idea what I had gone through for all of those years. And in that moment, when he sang those songs, you're not mad at me, I heard God saying to me, daughter, your faith, your persistence, you're continually going to church, you're continually picking up that Bible and believing what you weren't feeling, believing what you weren't seeing. You're continually going to your small group. You're continually serving year after year. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. And not only that, he says, go in peace and be free. And in that moment, I felt free, freer than I'd ever felt, free enough to wail in front of a room full of people that I did not know. And I could care less what they thought about me in that moment. I could care less what they found out of me about me at that point. Why? Because Jesus had touched me. Jesus had changed me. Jesus had transformed my life just like he did for her. He's done it for me. And if I took a mic to the audience, I could hear story after story after story because he's done it for many, many of you. And if he hasn't done it yet, wait and see. All we have to do is in our desperation, take it to him. And what I realized in my prayer is that today, as you have heard this story, that this daughter of Jesus' story, not this unclean woman, but that this daughter's story will illuminate hope to you. And that as you face the challenges of your life, whatever your story is, whatever it looks like, that you would remember this, that desperation, faith, and truth poured out to Jesus brings healing, and freedom. And even though Jesus was her last resort, he also immediately became her launching pad into a life full of freedom. A life transformed by the only one who could do it. And I believe that God wants nothing more for each and every one of us than, to, than for us to be free. And I looked at that, I kept seeing that. He says, "Go in peace and be free." was like, what does that mean? Be free." And I realized that being free means stepping into your freedom. Live in freedom. Exist in freedom. Don't go back to what I just freed you from be free. And that was the difference between my life before that moment and my life now. I live a life now, free. Do I still experience challenges? Absolutely. Do you still experience challenges? Absolutely. Storms will come, but Jesus wants us to be free. Free from your suffering, free from your pain, free from the shame of your past, free from whatever it is that is keeping you from him. And so if you're here today and you are already a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, be free. The Bible tells us that he whom the Son has set free is truly free indeed. Be free. Walk in it. Live in it. And if you're still here and you're exploring faith and you're hearing this story and you're hearing other people's stories, and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I'm trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. I want to invite you to consider Jesus as your last resort. Consider Jesus as your last resort. Let him be your launching pad to freedom. And I dare you to tell your story to somebody. I dare you, even this week, to take just a few minutes to just share something God has done for you. And don't think about it it has to be some big thing. It could be the simplest thing that God wants to use to transform somebody else's life because he wants to be somebody's last resort and somebody else's launching pad to a life of freedom. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good. Every time we think about you, every time we hear stories like this, every time we come across situations like this, or even when we look back over our lives, we see how amazingly good you are. So Father, we thank you for this story today. We thank you for this identifying with desperation. We thank you, Lord God, for the faith that you are igniting in us, God. And we thank you for the truth of what you're doing in our lives, God. And we thank you even for the challenge to share that truth with other people. And we know that you wanna do a work in our lives and not only in us, but in those that are around, those who are observing the change that you are doing in us, God. So I pray today that you would help us to live in the freedom that you have for us. And that for those of us who are in us in a a bad space, who are in a situation that is desperate, God, that we would pursue you as our last resort, that we would recognize that everything we hear about you is true and you are faithful to do everything you've promised to do. And God, as you change our lives with every step that we take closer to you and you draw close to us, we will tell of your goodness. We will tell of all that you have done for us, for our life transformed and freed by Jesus Christ. And we'll make sure that you get all praise, all glory, and all honor because you deserve it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.